Amen. Thank you for that prayer, Nick. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. I'm excited to preach this sermon today. I told my wife this morning that I don't know if anybody else is getting anything out of these psalm sermons, but I know I am, and I hope other people are too. Um, and I also made the comment, I said this to two different people this week, that the older I get and the more stuff I experience in life, the more I appreciate all the scripture, but I think especially the psalms, because we read here of men who experienced stuff, went through stuff, and we see their prayers and their praises and their ups and downs. And uh, I just, again, I hope that this summer as we study through some psalms that you will uh, be blessed by them as I have. Um, and so, with that said, are y'all ready for the sermon today? Amen. Ready? Okay. Before we get into the text, which you've already heard, we read it earlier this morning, but um, by way of introduction, um, someone think about what is your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? Uh, you don't have to say it out loud, but um, I, I read a study that said the number one thing people fear is public speaking, which I found kind of interesting, right? Because I do it every week, but some of you might say, oh, there's no way I'm getting up and talking in front of people. That was the number one fear in the study I read, and I'm thinking, have they not heard of heights? Because <laughs> that's my fear, you know, heights, and um, being up tall, and, and, but there's other fears. I made a list of some fears. Um, how about this? Snakes. Anybody afraid of snakes? Some are, some not. Spiders? Some are, some not. How about tight spaces? Claustrophobia, enclosed spaces. How about this one? I have a friend who's this way. Clowns. I have a friend scared of clowns. Jason, are you scared of clowns? You should not have told me that. You're now going to get texts of clowns constantly, like my other friend. <laughs> uh, you can send me pictures of heights. <laughs> but So I know those are kind of silly, but in all reality... Even as I read lists like that, there are things that I think we are at times maybe afraid of. And, and, and on a more serious note, like sickness, and health issues, and uh, death, right? That's not something we like to ponder, or the death of a loved one. Those are things that can truly cause us to be worried, to be afraid. Uh, maybe some other situations in your life, people in your life, situations that can cause you to worry or be afraid. And so I mention that because in the Psalms, we find people like David, especially here, who, who go through things and then share their thoughts about it. And again, it's such, so relatable in some ways for us. And so we find above all else that those who trust in the Lord, like David, have a confidence in him, as we saw last week in Psalm 23, that he will protect and provide and preserve. And those who trust in him have a calm, blessed assurance that, as we just sang about, he's sovereign over us and he will work all things together for his good or his glory and our good. And so I hope as we dive into Psalm 27, you'll see that this is that kind of psalm, that kind of prayer, that kind of praise, that if we trust him and if we trust in him, we will have confidence in him to know he's going to work all things out in our lives. Let's read it again so that you can hear it a second time this morning. 
If you're at verse 1, say word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. That is, in the Lord I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, seek my, ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In the psalm, I'm going to give you four things that David had that we need. Four spiritual things David had that we all need and need more of uh, this morning. First, notice he had confidence in the Lord. Again, if you look back at Psalm 23, which we did last week, he begins that psalm, Psalm 23, with, The Lord is my shepherd. And I told you last week, that's a statement of confidence. Confidence. He doesn't say the Lord might be or will be or could be. He says the Lord is my shepherd. And so now over in 27 of, of Psalms, he says the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And in the middle of verse 1, he says the Lord is my strength or my stronghold or my refuge. Let's look at those, those three words there, light, salvation, and strength. First, the word light. We know in Scripture that Oftentimes, darkness represents sin or evil, right? Uh, we see verses like in the New Testament that say, God is light, Jesus is the light of the world, walk in the light, not in the darkness. And so we understand that light and dark kind of contrast there. And so if darkness is evil and sinful, then the light is, is good. Let me show you a few scriptures about this. Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun. Isaiah 60, 20 says, your, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Micah 7, 8, rejoice not over me, 
O my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. I love that thought this morning of God being our light. And when we think about God being our light, we can think of it this way, that light brings uh, vision, right? You can see. It brings clarity to a situation. It brings order. It brings understanding. And so we can say with these scripture writers that though all around us might seem to be dark, if we have Christ, right, if we have the Lord, then there is light. Sometimes that might just be us. You might feel like you're going down a wrong path. You might feel like you're, you know, falling away from God in a sense or falling into sin. But though darkness be around us, if we look to Christ, we can find the light. So he's our light. He, the psalmist says he's my salvation. Now, we think about salvation, we think about, you know, the forgiveness of sin through Christ. But here David, first and foremost, is talking, I think, about um, the fact that God delivers him from enemies. And i give you a couple of scriptures here that relate to this. When Moses and the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, Pharaoh sent the chariots to chase them down, and they're stuck, right? They can't go to the left, they can't go to the right, they can't go back. And, of course, God did a miracle, right, parted the sea, and they went across on dry land. When they got across on dry land, Moses sang this song. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And over in Isaiah chapter 12, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And so as we read the psalm, you got to remember and think about the fact that David has enemies. And not like we have enemies. We might have an enemy in our life who talks bad about us, right? But we know David had enemies who were trying to actually kill him. And so this is a very, you know, intense situation. And David had plenty of enemies. Look at verse 2 and 3 of our psalm there again. He talks about the evildoers that assail him. They want to eat his flesh. They want to destroy him. But he says, it's not me who falls, it's they who fall. But again, he has many enemies. Verse 23, though an army encamp against me, though there be many against me, I will not be afraid. I will not fear. In verse 3, I will be confident in, in the Lord. And so the Lord has saved David from so far in his life, every one of the enemies that have come against him, and therefore, David believes that God will save him from the next one and the current one. Look at verse, again, verse 1. He's my light, my salvation, and he's my strength, or my stronghold, or my refuge, or we might say he's my shelter. And we think about how, you know, some of you probably have tornado shelters, right? A storm shelter. We think about getting into a shelter like that when a storm is coming through, and David reminds us here that he knows when he's going through a, a very difficult time in his life, he knows where to run, to run to his shelter, to his refuge, to his stronghold. And so if the Lord is my light, if the Lord is my salvation, if the Lord is my strength, twice in verse 1 he says, whom shall I fear? If the Lord is these things to me, then what should I be afraid of? And it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? What's the answer? Nothing. No one. If the Lord is these things to me, I should be afraid of no one. Uh, an old Puritan writer pointed this out. 
David had been delivered from lions and bears. He talks about that in the scripture as a shepherd fighting lions and bears. And so when he goes to stand before uh, Goliath, uh, how afraid is he? He's already been through some stuff. And then when Saul is chasing him and other people are trying to chase him, he can think back, God delivered me from the lions, he delivered me from the bears, he delivered me from, the, from Goliath. He can think back to what God had done and be confident that God's going to help him in the next thing, right? And so we can also do the same thing. And so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. Although, let's be honest, how many of us worry about stuff? All of us. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. If we think back at what God has done in our lives, that should give us the confidence to know God is going to keep helping us in the present and the future. And I hope you have that confidence in him and a lot of times we lose that, and that's why this world, uh, again, on the way down here this morning, Jesse and I discussed a couple things about this that I won't go all into, but how many people in this world have to find some way to cope? And that might be drugs, alcohol, other types of medication, other types of hobbies, where we just have to fill our minds with stuff because we are so worried and stressed about life. I think it's actually an epidemic in, in our culture. And, and... My point is this, that the, the confidence we need should come from Christ and from our Lord. I want you to see Psalm 3, 5, and 6, because this might apply to somebody this morning. He says in Psalm 3, I lay down and rest. I woke again for the Lord to sustain me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. And I, the thing I like about that psalm is, uh, and I've told you all this before, you, I remember used to, I would be stressed sometimes, and I would call my memo Hill and say, hey, I'm stressed about this situation. And she would say, pray about it and go to sleep. That was her advice. Nothing you can do about it except pray and go to sleep. And I'm saying as, to us as believers, how many, how many times do we stay up late at night or can't fall asleep because we're worried or afraid or stressed when God says, lay down and sleep, trusting in him. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil, do we? Because why? He is with us. Another way to take this to the New Testament is Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so when I look at verse 1, I know I spend a lot of time on verse 1. I love verse 1. I think this. If the God of the Bible is my God, then I do not have to fear. And I should not spend my time worrying. Matthew chapter 6, right? Don't worry trust. Every moment I spend worrying is a moment I should spend trusting. Every moment I spend, I spend afraid of something, I should spend that time resting in the promises of God. In verses 4 through 6, um, I've always found this interesting because if verse 4 he says this, there's one thing, one thing that that I'm asking of the Lord, one thing I'm seeking after, and then he names three things. You notice that? You ever noticed that before? It kind of, it's kind of like when my wife says, hey, go pick up some laundry detergent. And so I go get in the car, start backing out of the driveway, and she texts me and says, also, some milk. I get halfway to the store, also, these eight other things. And so I have this whole list, right? I thought I was going for one thing, and it's more. Sorry. It happens. But David says, one thing have I asked, and then he names a few things. Let's look at the things. He says, first, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, does this mean that David's going to just live there? 
go and live there 24-7? No, but, but he's going to be, be in the house of the Lord and, and be a part of that. And, and to apply that to us, we don't stay in this building 24-7, do we? But we come when the doors are open. We try to be here as much as we can Sunday morning, Wednesday night. And we try to be here to, to worship. And that shows the importance of dwelling in, in this house, this sanctuary, as we dwell together as the church. He says, I, I also want to, number two, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To think about the beauty of the Lord is to think about his glory, his holiness, his righteousness, and all the many attributes that make up who God is. And to see God as truly important and worthy and beautiful. Spurgeon said, we must not enter the assemblies of the saints. Listen, we must not enter the assemblies of the saints, the church, in order to see and be seen or merely hear the minister. We must repair to the gatherings of the righteous and, in, and be intent upon the gracious object of learning more of the loving Father, the glorified Jesus, and the mysterious Spirit, that we might reverently adore our glorious God. I love that idea of coming into the church to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to see Him for who He truly is, to see Him as great. Do you see God this morning as great and worthy, holy and righteous? I hope you do. The third thing he says, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and then to inquire of the Lord. To make this a place where we want to know him more. We want to seek more from his word and, and know what, he, what he's saying. And so, so when I kind of said this, I still think David's asking for one thing. And I think he's seeking one thing. And, it, and here's the thing. It's our second point this morning. The second thing David has that we need is communion with the Lord. When I say communion here, I don't mean you know, the Lord's Supper. I mean fellowship, relationship, worship. To have David had a close communion with the Lord, and we need that. Not only the confidence in him, not only the trust in him, but to have that, again, that communion, that relationship. One writer said, the new creature asks nothing of God but to enjoy God. Do we think about that sometimes? We, we pray often to make a list of things. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, please do that. But do we ever just pray and just say, God, I just need your presence. I just need your, you in my life. That's, that's the kind of worship we, we should be trying to strive for. David's one thing in verses 4 through 6 was to be in a close relationship through faith with his God. And so he sought after the Lord. He desired to worship the Lord. He desired to gaze upon his beauty, to meditate on the Lord, and then to praise him. Verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6, he talks about how the Lord will hide him in the shelter, conceal him, lift him up on a rock. In other words, the Lord's going to be there for him, protect him. And at the end of verse 6, he says, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. See, David's confidence in the Lord and his communion with the Lord, they went hand in hand. And I believe this, that if you trust Christ, truly trust Christ, then you will continue with Christ. We can say it this way. Where there is no confidence in God, there will be no continuance with God. Look at that quote again. Where there is no confidence in God, there will be no continuance 
with him. I pray we have that confidence, that trust in him. Can we say the same? David clearly says here in these first six verses, he has supreme trust in his sovereign creator. Can we say that? So confidence, communion, third, the third thing that David had that we need is conversation with the Lord or prayer. Conversation with the Lord. I see this in verses 7 through 13. Notice the first part of verse 7. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. I have a great quote for you here on this, on this phrase. Hear, O Lord. Listen to this quote. Um, Pharisees care not a fig for the Lord's hearing them so long as they are heard of men or charm their own pride with their sounding devotions. But with a genuine man, the Lord's ear is everything. I hope we can make sure our prayers are this way, right? That our showing up here for church, our praying, our singing is not done for, for others to hear or for us, our own pride, but to get the Lord's ear that he might hear us. And so in these verses, he prays for a few things. He prays first, and primarily he prays for God's presence in his life, for God's help in his life. He says, have mercy on me, answer me. In verse 8, he talks about the Lord, um, again, his presence, seeking in the Lord's face, the Lord showing him his presence. Verse 9, do not hide from me, do not forsake me. And again, he calls him the God of his salvation. And so we see this uh, prayer for I like to think about it this way, too. He prays for God's spiritual presence, but also his practical presence. God, be with me spiritually. Help me. Provide for me. But also, guide me in these situations I'm going through in life. And we need that as well, to pray for these spiritual things, but also the practical things uh, that God would, would give us. Then we see that he needed God's guidance. Teach me your way, O Lord. What a prayer. Maybe you, want, maybe you want to underline that phrase. Maybe you want to make that a part of your prayer life. Lord, teach me your way. How can I be a better husband? Lord, teach me your way. How can I be a better father on this Father's Day? Lord, teach me how to be a better, better father. How can I be a better mother and wife? A better Christian, a better whatever. Lord, teach me your way. A big thing about prayer, a big thing about, I think, Christianity is being teachable. I've had so many people in my about 20 years of ministry who have said these phrases to me. Ready? Uh, we've never done it that way before. Ever heard that or said that? And as soon as you say that phrase, at some level of your heart, what you're saying is, I don't want to do it another way, <laughs> right? And what if there is another... Another, better, more biblical way. If there is, you should want to do that way. I've had people say to me, and I've told you all before, I had a, a deacon one time, and this man was probably in his late 30s, deacon of his church, leader in his church, looked at me right in the face across from my desk in my office and said, I pretty much know all I need to know about the Bible right now. And I was like, what? Because you don't really know that much right now. Plus, there's more. None of us do, right? The greatest theologians, whoever you would say is the greatest preacher, and we, I quote some of these people like Spurgeon, for example, I guarantee you Spurgeon would have never said 
I have it all figured out. I was reading about Spurgeon last week. It said that 10 years after he had read something in a book, he could remember exactly what he read and exactly where he read it from 10 years later, which is probably why he could preach many times a week and just remember so many things, and God blessed him in that way. And I guarantee you a man of God like that would have kept saying, I need to keep growing in the Lord. There's more I can know of, of God. And so we should never reach the place of being unteachable, right? We should all be like, teach me, lead me, help me, no more. The best believers, the most purified believers, know that they are still clay needing to be molded by the Father, who is our potter. We are to continually be reformed, growing in our knowledge and understanding of the Word and of God's will for our lives. And so we should pray like David, Lord, teach me your way, lead me in a plain path. David especially said it because of his enemies. His enemies were going in in sinful directions, in evil directions, and he says, lead me in the right, lead me in the right path. But notice he also says, um, teach me, and then, again, lead me. As I read that verse in verse 11, I think about, and I mentioned this a while back, the old days of taking out a map and trying to find where you're going, right? And now we have our phones, right, or a GPS. And you, on your phone, you type it in, and it tells you, turn here, right? And so it's not only teaching you where to go, but it's actually guiding you, leading you, telling you exactly where to go. We don't just say, Lord, teach me things. We say, Lord... Teach me and also lead me in the way I should go. Verse 12, one thing I want to point out about verse 12 is that he asked God to deliver him. And then he says to God, um, there are false witnesses against me. Now, I assume most of us have had times in our lives where there have been people who have talked bad about us, slandered us, you know, Said, said we said some stuff we didn't say, said we did some stuff we didn't do, whatever it might be. And David had that happen to him. He says, Lord, deliver me from these people. There's some false witnesses. They're, they're risen against me. They breathe out cruel things about me. But then in verse 13, he gives us kind of his answer to that. In verse 13, he says, I, I would have, and I would have fainted. I would have, that would have gotten me. That would have done got me, as somebody said. But I believed to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Someone said, hope, hope is heaven's bomb for present sorrow. Hoping in the good things that God will give us helps us make it through the present sorrow. So, as I kind of conclude that section, let me kind of make some application here. I imagine every one of us in this room is going through something right now, whether it's a job situation, a life situation, a, a relationship, whatever it might be, whatever your main thing you're worried about or afraid of. And when I say that, I bet it popped into your mind. The thing you're most worried about, the thing you're most afraid of, the thing you're most stressed about right now, whatever that is, this morning you need confidence in the sovereign God of the universe that he is in control of that thing right? And some of us are holding on so tight to that thing, it's, it's hurting us, and we need to let that thing go, right? And say, Lord, you're in control. I can't do anything about it anyway. Lord, I trust you in that circumstance. And look toward the one who 
who is our sovereign. Whatever you're going through, you need that confidence, that trust. But also, whatever you're going through, you need that communion. That communion, that fellowship, that relationship with God. To know that the most important thing in this life is not that thing that's stressing you out. The most important thing in this life is not that thing that's trying to bring you down. The most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. That is the most important thing. That is an eternal thing. So to know him more and to worship him more, that communion. And the third thing, if you're going through something, you need that conversation with God. Prayer, right? To call upon him, to cry out to him. I mean, David says here, that he, he cries out to the Lord, verse 7, Hear when I cry with my voice. I do not imagine him bowing his head and saying, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all your many blessings. It's pretty, been pretty great, God. Help me, Lord. There's, I'm going through a lot right now. People are throwing spears at me. People are trying to kill me. Please help me. Amen. Do you think that's how David's prayer sounded? <laughs> I don't think so, right? That's kind of how more our prayer sounds. I think his prayer was very, I would imagine, the way we read it here. Look at, verse, look at Psalm 28, verse 1. Unto thee I will cry. He says that in other places as well. Psalm 30, verse 2. Lord, I cried out unto thee. And I'm not saying, he's, I'm not saying that means he's always shedding tears when he prays, but I'm saying to me there's intensity about the way he's praying. Genuous, a genuineness, an intensity. And so whatever we're going through, we need the confidence in him. We need the communion with him. We need that conversation. We need that prayer with him. And finally, I think we all need this today. We need comfort from the Lord. The other day, Jesse and I were at a, a drive through I think it was at Jack's. And... Do you ever go through the drive-thru and you order something and they say, and it could be like one thing, and they might say, would you pull up there a little bit? Do you ever do that? That makes me so aggravated. Because I've done that when there's nobody behind me. I'm like, there's nobody back there. What are we even doing? The other night it was late. It was just, I think just Jesse now, maybe one girl was with us or something. And we ordered just a couple of small things. It's late. There's nobody behind us. The girl says, sir, you don't mind, would you mind pulling up? I said, that's fine. And she walked off. And I looked at Jesse. I said, you know what? I'm not pulling up. I'm just going to sit here. If somebody else pulls behind me, I'll pull up, but I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. So it took 10 minutes, or a long time, it felt like 10 minutes. The girl comes back and says, sir, my, my manager's fussing at me that you won't pull up. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I didn't, there was nobody behind me. I didn't know. She said, no, we're actually on a timer. And so we're going to get in trouble because you sit in the thing too long. I was like, my bad. So I pulled up. I felt horrible. Did y'all know that? They're on, they're on like a clock. I didn't know that. And so I was like, sorry. But uh, so now I'm like, now if somebody asks me to pull up, I'm like, I got you. I don't want you to get in trouble. You know, whatever. I'll pull up. But I say that because I hate waiting. And that's supposed to be fast food, right? But most of us are impatient people, aren't we? We want what we want. We want it now. We're impatient. I don't want to pull up. I order two things. Give my two things. I want to go. We're impatient. Well, patience is a attribute, it's an attribute of godly people. Say that again, you might want to write that down. Patience is an attribute of godly people. 
As a matter of fact, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Patience is an attribute of a godly person, but what we all know is most of us struggle with that. And I'm not talking about fast food. I'm talking about being patient with your child, your spouse, your boss, being patient with the Lord. How about, let me give you a few examples from the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, desperately wanting a child. They're told, okay, you're going to have an an heir. And they wait, I I tried to do math on this, I think they waited 25 years. That's a long time. 25 years. You're going to have a child, you're going to have an heir. Great, awesome. When? A couple decades later. How about Joseph? In prison, sitting there waiting. Remember, he, he's there in the prison waiting after he, you know, the Potiphar's wife situation, he's in prison. God's been with him every step of the way. When do I get out? He's just waiting. How about Moses, Caleb, and Joshua in the wilderness? Wanting to go to the promised land. Waiting. How about Job, after all his suffering, through his suffering, waiting? How about the very David who wrote this psalm? Waiting to be king. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. And so in verse 14, he he really says this to us. He says this to his listeners. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I'm, I'm encouraging us this morning to be patient and to wait on the things the Lord will do in our lives. And the way we wait is not just sitting there letting the world pass us by. We wait expecting God to do works in our lives, to help us through our lives. We wait prayerfully. We wait worshipfully. And so our waiting is not just a sitting back. Our waiting is an excited, hopeful, faithful waiting on him. So, David said, my heart shall not fear, I shall not be afraid. And so again, I want to bring us back as we wrap this up to whatever it is in your life that is causing you stress, causing you worry, causing you fear. Can you say with David, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, the Lord is my refuge. Can you say with him, the one thing I've desired that I may have relationship, fellowship with God. Can you say with him, Lord, hear me when I cry? Can you say with this, David, teach me and lead me? And can you say with him and can you take his teaching that says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage? Whatever you're going through, faithfully, prayerfully, hopefully, wait on the Lord. Let's pray.